0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Tribal citizens and native land are particularly at higher risk when it comes to the threat from highly radioactive nuclear waste. Right now, the plan for disposing of the waste is to keep it at what were intended to be temporary sites all over the country. Some of those sites are close to native reservations. Tribes are among those calling for a permanent solution that benefits their citizens and others nearby. We'll hear more about it coming up after the news.
1: is national native news i'm antonia gonzalez officials and residents in rapid city south dakota are having a strong reaction after a hotel owner called for a ban on native american guests connie Yuri made the statements in a facebook post and email following a weekend shooting at the grand gateway hotel nick Yuri is connie's son and the hotel manager He declined to do a recorded interview with South Dakota Public Broadcasting, but sent an emailed statement. Nick says he's against Connie's statements and the hotel will continue to accept Native American guests. He also says he's receiving threats. The community is still outraged. Red Elk Zephyr is searching for a new job after quitting his bartending gig at the hotel lounge. He says bar staff and some hotel workers have quit.
2: So I just didn't want to be associated with that. I didn't even think about the money or anything involved and I just, I can't have that in my life.
1: Workers are not the only ones speaking out. Tribes, the Rapid City government, law enforcement and other business organizations have asked the hotel owners to publicly apologize and make amends. The Native organization Indian Collective announced Tuesday it will file a federal civil rights class action lawsuit against the Grand Gateway Hotel for what it calls its racist and discriminatory treatment of Native people. In a statement, Indian Collective President and CEO Nick Tilson said, Rapid City is our home, our land, and our community. We will not tolerate racist policies and practices like those demonstrated at the Grand Gateway Hotel. Indian Collective and two other Native groups are planning to march and rally to the federal courthouse Wednesday afternoon. A federal appeals court has revived part of a lawsuit claiming the federal government has not provided basic education for the Havasupai tribe in Arizona. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, parents accuse the Bureau of Indian Education of providing substandard services For the tribe's children.
3: The lawsuit against the BIE was filed in 2017 by parents of children attending Havasupai Elementary. Most of the claims have since been resolved. But following last week's ruling by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, one claim focused on basic education like science and physical education will now go back to the U.S. District Court. The lawsuit accuses the BIE of failing to ensure the school has staff to teach many basic subjects and that students aren't given adequate instruction time or materials. to meet the standards of their grade. Attorneys also say the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the problems with little in-person instruction and many students lacking access to online learning. The Ninth Circuit Court last week also ruled that two plaintiffs who'd been dismissed from the lawsuit can seek compensatory education from the BIE for services that should have been provided. The Havasupai tribe lives deep in the Grand Canyon, and its reservation can only be accessed by helicopter or an eight-mile hike. The school is the tribe's only option for elementary-aged children to receive an education. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff.
1: The National Congress of American Indians is developing a sovereignty institute, to enhance and support tribal governance. It will include NCAI's Policy Research Center and a new initiative on leadership development. The institute will also work on civic engagement, which includes focus on voting census and retiring mascots. The executive committee announced plans for the institute Tuesday after a recent retreat in Arizona. The U.S. Senate passed a resolution Tuesday honoring the achievements and contributions of Native women. It recognizes the heritage and culture of American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian women in the United States. It praises Native women, military service members, veterans, business owners, those in medicine, artists, and a long list of other professions. The resolution is in celebration of National Women's History Month. It was led by leaders of the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: NATIONAL NATIVE NEWS IS PRODUCED BY KOWANAKA BROADCAST CORPORATION,
4: WITH FUNDING BY THE CORPORATION FOR PUBLIC BROADCASTING. SUPPORT BY Sanofsky CHAMBERS LAW, CHAMPIONING TRIBAL SOVEREIGNTY AND NATIVE AMERICAN RIGHTS SINCE 1976, FROM OPIOIDS LITIGATION TO TREATY RIGHTS TO TRIBAL SELF-GOVERNANCE, WITH OFFICES IN WASHINGTON, D.C., NEW MEXICO, CALIFORNIA, AND ALASKA. SONOSKI CHAMBERS LAW.
5: SUPPORT BY THE NATIVE AMERICAN DISABILITY LAW CENTER, a non-for-profit 501c3 at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The system for disposing of highly radioactive nuclear waste is at a standstill and that is putting many Native people at greater risk. This month, several Native organizations joined a coalition of groups in the U.S. and Canada expressing opposition to plans to keep nuclear waste in what are known as interim storage facilities. Many of those facilities are near Native communities or on Native land. The US Department of Energy touts nuclear waste disposal as a source of economic development for tribes that can offer good paying jobs for tribal citizens. However, opponents say the price is many generations of concern about the threat of radioactive leaks. Today, we're going to get an update on the decades long debate about nuclear waste. And here are some perspectives from tribal leaders who are affected. We also wanna hear from you. Is nuclear waste an economic opportunity or a long-term toxic threat Join today's discussion by calling 1 800 996 2848. That's 1 800 99Native. Phone lines are open. Mike Childs Jr. is the treasurer for the Prairie Island community. He's speaking with us today from Red Wing, Minnesota. Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Sean. Rose Ferry is the project tracking and resource analyst for the Yakima Nation's Environmental Restoration Waste Management Program. She is also the cultural resource lead for the program, and she's joining us from Yakima, Washington. Rose, welcome to America Calling. Thank you, Sean. Also on our show today is Jonathan Perry. He's the director of Eastern Navajo Diné against uranium mining and the president of the Bicenti chapter on the Navajo Nation. He's Diné and he's joining us from Bacenti, New Mexico. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Jesse Deerenwater is joining us from Detroit, Michigan, where he is the community organizer for Citizens Resistance at Fermi Two or CRAFT. He's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. Jesse, thanks so much for talking with us today on Native America Calling. Hey, uh,
6: appreciate it, glad to be here.
0: Mike, I'd like to start with you. I can't think of a more polarizing topic than anything related to nuclear energy. Some view it as the best possible solution for the world's energy needs. Others view it as the worst possible solution and then others are somewhere in the middle. But you've got a very unique perspective because you've got a nuclear power plant located right next door to the Prairie Island Indian community. Can you give us some history on that plant? Yeah. Well, originally
2: in uh, 1959, Northern States Power um, proposed a, a coal plant here. And so, uh, you know, with. Uh, with that coming jobs, uh, later on it was, um, I don't know how our community really found out, you know, other than once they started building it, they found out it was a nuclear plant in the mid sixties. And then, um, in 1973, unit one came online and 1974 unit two came online. So, um, you know, I don't know that we really had much of it. There wasn't really much discussion uh, back then
7: uh, other than it was just being
0: built. So so in those early stages, though, uh, it sounds like it wasn't fully disclosed the nature of the power plant. Apparently tribal citizens weren't completely uh, knowledgeable that it was going to be a nuclear power plant. Is that right?
2: Not until, you know, they started constructing it, from what I understand.
0: And then people just noticed like these huge reactor towers going up and were like, holy cow, that looks like a nuclear power plant.
2: Yeah, we had some of our members that work construction. So I assume they knew they were building a their power plant. So, you know, in the 60s, until it was being built, from what I understand, there wasn't, you know, we don't have the communication we do nowadays. So I, I, was, I think there was some confusion. So I've heard some confusion. Differing stories, but generally, it wasn't like well known until the actual construction started.
0: Okay, and Mike, have there been any uh, serious leaks or accidents uh, over the years?
2: Uh, I I wouldn't. I I don't know that I can say it's a serious. There was a. There was a. Uh, generator leak in in uh, October 1979 that released radioactivity into the air, and uh, I think from what I recollect in the NRC bulletin, it was the wind was going west towards our
0: community. Now, Mike, you worked at the plant for for about a dozen years, right? I mean, just from from your perspective, did it appear like uh, the the waste was being managed uh, well?
2: I mean the waste, you know, it it it, it fit all the laws and regulations. Um, I was what they called an instrument and control specialist, so I worked on numerous instruments, some being, you know, radiation monitors too. So I mean, they, there's robust systems now after Three Mile Island. I, I started in 1989, so so there was a lot more systems in place than than the early days. I did have two uncles that were uh, senior reactor operator, senior reactor operators too. So, so okay. yeah, I, you know, it, it they followed some pretty stringent rules. Um, and when I started, all there was was a spent fuel pool, and then later on is when uh, the dry cast came in the in the mid 90s, 1990s.
0: Now, um, your community is just about 700 yards—the nearest homes—about 700 yards from this nuclear power plant. Does does the tribe receive uh, benefits for having this power plant uh, located so close to to their lands?
2: I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would say it's a benefit, other than you know, we in 2003 we we there's state law in Minnesota that allowed us to have a uh, some you know monetary compensation you know that was 30 years after uh the local city and county received you know uh quite substantial tr- tax revenue so
0: okay were are we're tribal members satisfied with that with that financial pay those payments? I mean, I think,
2: you know, there again, it's, you know, you have two sides. There's not, we, we passed the agreement, we did a referendum, you know? And so, you know, there's some people that agree with it. Some people, you know, not, you know, they're not totally jubilant about it, but it's, it's, you know, it's helped us, you know, in, in some ways. So,
0: Okay, well, Mike, what type of um, regulation or, or which government entities are in, involved with the oversight of this uh, nuclear power plant?
2: So first, it would be um, the federal government, and so you have the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They're the ones that allow. I, I, they're they came after they originally was the Atomic Energy Commission and now it's the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So now they're the ones that issue license for, we have two two, uh, Westinghouse boiling water, or no, pressurized water reactors at Prairie Island. So NRC holds a license. They have, uh, you know, they, they oversee, they have safety guidelines. It's called the reactor oversight process where they use basically They call it probabilistic uh, risk assessment in the reactor oversight process now. um, And then we also have state regulators. Um, I should also say the EPA is, you know, because you have EPA permits for water and and, and pollutants Mm -hmm. too. So you do have that. But uh, most of the EPA stuff is, is through the state of minnesota through the minnesota pollution control agency so um okay and then, uh, um, yeah oh my and then god that's that, that would be the difference and then our our uh, public utilities commission oversees you know whether they whether it, it makes monetary sense to keep keep a plan open or not
0: okay well, Mike, what are the issues of having nuclear waste stored so close to Prairie Island from from the tribe standpoint?
2: I think so. So no one in the country lives closer to nuclear waste than people of our tribe. My uh, cousin, Tina Jefferson, and her daughter, Crystal Jefferson, are probably the closest uh, people that have to live to the dry cask. And so... You know, and and others in that, we have what we call Adoka Street, and that's that's where most of the members that are the closest live. And so, you know, I think it's stressful. I think a lot of it's, you know, stress of, you know, just having spent nuclear fuel uh, outside, you know, I should say it's stored in a different way other than a spent fuel pool. And so, you know, it's since this canister, I mean, it's either a dry cask or canister that they're exposed to elements. I think that's, you know, the worry uh, we don't, you know, with neutron radiation coming out of these casts, you know, how does it, you know, you know, health studies always show there's no significant risk, but uh, you know, working at a nuclear plant i understand the lara principle which is as low as reasonably achievable so you know i think there's just there's just that general anxiety that this this fuel this spent fuel is never you know how long is it going to be here you know we keep, right. we're told it's temporary right. but you know what i mean temporary seems to be at least minimum 100 years
0: okay gotcha Well, folks, uh, we're speaking today with uh, Mike Childs Jr. with uh, Prairie Island Indian community talking about a nuclear power plant located close to their tribal lands. We're gonna be back right after this short break. Skateboard decks are the canvas for dozens of native artists who are merging old and new traditions in an exhibition in Albuquerque. The artworks bring native images and inspirations to what might be considered an unlikely medium. We'll hear more about the Pivot Art Exhibition on the next Native America Calling.
7: Skook Dash, I won't talk a more amyuku to Kumatoaki, a more u ah it dash,
8: a more
7: mamakai. Ambaychismaachem @healthcare.gov for amoha kuku kma ko gigik sikork sikork kwik kma ko gigik ko khutas hum jut idap amjet himak centers for medicare medicare hajipka
0: Tuning into Native America Calling I'm Sean Spruce we're revisiting the topic of nuclear waste today It's currently stored at dozens of sites across the country, close to where it's produced. This often means it's upwind of tribes. If you'd like to join the discussion, you can reach us at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. And before we went to break, we were speaking with Mike Childs Jr. and who is explaining uh, concerns of tribal citizens about nuclear waste uh, near their community, some of which can remain active for thousands of years. And, Mike, I know the federal government promised to remove the waste that's stored there at Prairie Island. What is the prospect of that promise now?
2: I mean, for me, the Nuclear Waste Policy Act is still the law of the land and needs to be enforced, I guess. Uh, I think as natives, we all understand when there's uh, not an answer, right? How, Uh you know... We understand the timeline right and so you know I think from the time the plant started um operating to the time right now the license expires in 2033 2034 because there's a 20-year uh extension is well, I guess you know how what is temporary you know what is the length of time for temporary storage you know I I you know, I guess to me it it means sixty, eighty, a hundred years. I, I without an answer, I, I'm not really sure. I guess you know, I mean, it's forty years since the Nuclear Waste Policy Act has been law. I think in eight, and then in 1987, I think it was amended to, for Yucca Mountain. So, I you know, I don't know really. I guess without you know. Without a, a, an answer from the government, I, I guess, you know, that's the fear of of my people is that, you know, when's it going to leave, I guess, or, you know, when's the federal government going to, you know, uh, mm. do with what they said they're going to do with it, so.
0: Well, do you think uh, tribal members, you know, are generally, are, are they hopeful? Are they distrustful? I mean, what you know, what do you kind of gauge the community sentiment at? with regards to this issue i mean,
2: i don't know that they're hopeful like i said you know it's 1982 as the nuclear waste policy act was passed it's been 40 years and and so you know 40 years of uh you know the waste is still here i i, I don't know what else you know i I, yeah. I don't i don't see many people being hopeful
0: sure well, Mike, thanks again for that background. Let's move a little further west, and again, we have Rose Ferry and Rose. Uh, similar to Mike, uh, you folks are also uh, situated very close to a nuclear site, uh, the Hanford site. Uh, can you give us some some background and a timeline on on this Hanford site?
5: Um, yeah. So the Yakima Reservation is approximately fifty miles from. The Hanford Nuclear Reservation, and what Hanford is, is it's a facility. It was it was part of the Manhattan Project, and it was a facility that um, basically manufactured weapons-grade plutonium that went into the bombs. And the process for that versus the process for commercial nuclear fuel is somewhat different. And the uh, remnants, because you're highly, highly refining to get to that weapons-grade plutonium. So the, the amount of, contamin- of of contamination that we have at Hanford, it is literally the most contaminated site in the Western Hemisphere. Um, we have some of the nastiest legacy weapons-grade uh, uh, remnants that uh, of anywhere in the Western Hemisphere. Um, on top of that, We also have an operating uh, nuclear power plant. Um, Energy Northwest operates a nuclear facility on the Hanford site. So um, while the uh, reactors uh, for the Hanford proper, I will call it, there were eight reactors, those have all been shut down and they're in the process of either being cocooned or, or have already been cocooned in the last few years. And what that basically means is that they cannot pull those react any of the uh, the reactor material out of the build the structure itself. So they they basically cocoon it and they just leave it sitting there. So because it's just it's too hot to do anything with. Um, so we have that, and we have a, a bunch of this. Uh, we have 177 uh, storage tanks that um, house a lot of the high-level uh, waste that came out of the years and years and years of production of um, weapon-grade plutonium. uh, And it's really a a soup mixture of of just everything you can imagine, chemicals, uh, high-level waste, everything, which makes it very complicated to do anything with. Um, We have the commercial reactor. And they're also looking at the Hanford site now to as a site where they want to do some of these modular these uh, demonstration projects for the small nuclear reactors, and so they're wanting to site one of those there as well. So what we're looking at at Hanford is not only a legacy of weapons-grade plutonium production, current energy production, but also uh, new technology production, all of which will be producing waste that will fit uh, as the as the as uh, Mike said, basically in these casts above the ground. Um, right now, we okay. currently have casts above the ground at Hanford as well with high-level uh, waste in it.
0: Well, Rose, have there been any leaks or events uh, that have caused health concerns there in the community? Yeah, the tanks
5: at Hanford, um, there are several of them that are leaking into the groundwater. They're in, you know, there's, and they're basically on their way to the Columbia River. The contamination is on its way to the Columbia River. There have been issues there. There's issues, there was issues with uh, one of the reactors that kind of delayed them being able to even cocoon it. It's not cocooned yet, they're working on it because of contamination that is in the groundwater. We currently have active upwelling into the Columbia River of um, waste.
0: Okay. And, and how much do you support do you get from regulators or the, the government uh, with regard to this waste and these, these storage issues and these health concerns? I mean, do you get information? Do you get resources or anything to, to educate the community and also to uh, provide any kind of support necessary for, for some of these risks that you face?
5: Yeah, I, I'm going to say that probably in the last 10 to 12 years, that aspect of things has gotten better. Um, it, it, has, it really took about 30 years of fighting uh, to be able to get um, fully recognized and to be able to uh, basically have a more active role in what's going on there. That being said, I mean, we get all of the documents, we can comment on all of the documents, We're actively involved in the National Historic Preservation Act, um, uh, Section 106 reviews to be able to protect the cultural resources that are there. But the reality of it is, you know, how much effect we're actually having. You know, I'm going to say more now than we've had in the past, but by no means where we should be, uh, far, far from where we should be of getting them to recognize the effects that it's having on uh, the tribal people.
0: What is the the possibility that this will get cleaned up and and, and dealt with in a more prudent manner anytime soon?
5: Um, the I'm going to say the prospect is is practically not going to be there at all. Um, they honestly they just don't know uh, what to do with the waste, and, and like Mike said, I mean they. You know, they say, yeah, we need to relocate it, but but when and where? And the 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 waste that we have at Hanford, especially the waste that's in these underground storage tanks, it's like this thick peanut buttery goo that is just, and, and some of it has hardened. They don't know how to they don't know how to get it out of there. They can't get all of it out of there. So we do have some technical issues uh, with even being able to remove all of it. Meanwhile, it's leaking into the the ground, which will reach the groundwater which will reach the river so i mean that that is the history i mean that is where we're going that is the future of hanford at this point they just we do not foresee total cleanup um, because you're literally talking about uh, in some cases you know thousands upon thousands of years for any of this to to degrade
0: and Rose, what's the impact on just the overall morale of the community? Because I think for so many people, this would just seem to be such a burden to bear, almost unimaginable to be located to to this nuclear waste and and have all these these questions uh, that apparently nobody has the answer for.
5: Right, um, it, it's it's tough. Uh, what really makes it tough is the Hanford is the traditional um, homelands of Yakima Nation. It was ceded. Uh, to the federal government in the Treaty of 1855. But this, this particular area uh, of Yakima land um, was, is, holds a lot of cultural and traditional value. It's the birthplace of the Washot religion through a vision uh, given to the Prophet Shemahala on the top of Lalik Mountain, which is on the Hanford site. So, I mean, the sacredness of this site, there's a lot of sacred areas that future generations and current generations can't go to. Uh, they don't have that and they won't be able to have that connection to these lands and to these places. And that's huge. That's huge.
0: Okay. And as, um, you know, working there with, with waste management, I mean, are you folks, uh, is the tribe able to put any efforts together to address some of these issues as well? Are there anything working on your end to kind of mitigate some of these risks or at least maybe even educate and inform the community and surrounding communities as as, as well of, of what's going on?
5: Yes, we we do have... Uh an uh, education and outreach um, part of our program where we are going to schools and we're going to community centers, that type of thing, and um, educating people about what's going on at Hanford, uh, number one. Um, We also try and get uh, arranged where we're able to do like youth tours where we're able to take some of the youth out there and, and be able to show them where the reactors are uh, but at the same time show them where some of the sacred places are and be able to share stories with them and such. Um, a big issue right now is not just the cleanup of Hansford. Obviously we need to get that done and, and be involved in that, but also to be able to to keep the stories alive in the young people so that they know the importance of this land and how. It, um, you know, because this land is, is part of this land, is, it defines the accumulation nation as a people, and it's important not to lose that. And so we fight every day to make sure that we are coming up with ways so that we can keep that alive.
0: Now, Rose, I understand, I mean, there are these different types of nuclear waste that are stored at Hanford, and um do you folks understand these different levels of of waste that you're dealing with? And because obviously there would be different risks, I would assume, uh, different issues that need to be addressed with these different types of waste, right?
5: There is. Absolutely there is. And what you can do with commercial um, waste is different than what you can do with um, uh, weapons production waste. Uh, They are, they are different. Um, And, Contain, they're all contained. I mean, you know, as, as contained as can be. But the the issue that we have, clearly, with especially with the weapons-grade uh, plutonium manufacturing, that waste is that it's been stored in very old tanks that are failing, basically, and that is a that's a bigger issue uh, for us now. Is is how do we can how do how do we get that contained so that the environment is not um, being affected by this waste,
0: okay. And, and Mike, that's the uh, one of the current issues there at Prairie Island as well, right? Is the the Excel uh, company that manages the plant? They're 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 trying to change the type of storage containers, right? That currently houses the waste there at Prairie Island.
2: Yes, from uh, <clears throat> bolted. Right now, the 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 canisters are bolted lids. The Walls are like nine and a half inches thick. I think to a welded canister design, which is is a one inch thick steel, and then they put it in a concrete what they call an overpack.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, similar technology being used there uh, at Hanford Rose
5: um, for commercial um, grade. Yeah, they they did have it in wet storage and they and they're pulling it out and they're putting it in I think the similar type of, of cast. Absolutely.
7: And okay. they're
5: removing some of the waste from the tanks and they're 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 putting that in, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of container those are going in to be honest with
0: you. And do, do you folks um, get out there to that site periodically and, and see this work in process? I mean, I mean how, how involved are you in, in the day-to-day management of, of this waste abatement and storage?
5: We are out there. We've got, a, we've got crews out there today, as a matter of fact, um, looking over Yakima Nation interests in one way or the other. We're out there at least a couple times a week.
0: And is there a danger for those folks that are out there working so close to uh, this plutonium waste that you describe?
5: Um, no, uh, we they they are pretty good at keeping us um, away from that. But we all wear um, yeah, what's it called? It, it, it we we all wear something that man that um, measures uh, any kind of um, exposure that we get, and they track that yearly. Um, so when you're out there, you you basically wear something that will track the, le- the level of exposure.
0: And then do people also have to wear special gear, any kind of uh, coats or any type of protective gear to limit that radioactivity that could possibly uh, impact them?
5: Um, no, they keep us usually away from that. I personally have had to partially suit up depending on where I was going. I mean, I've been down inside like some of their waist- sites that they've that they remediated and so i i've had to be scanned and or i've had to wear you know some gear when i've got out to some places so it just depends on where we're at
0: okay rose this sounds like really creepy is it like creepy out there being around (laughs) That it sounds like something something out of a sci-fi movie honestly
5: (laughs) you kind of feel like it is sometimes but it it can it can be i mean it's um, we were out there, you know, I mean, there's been times when I've gone out there and they've got sirens that mean different things. You know, you either, you know, shelter in place or you go to the nearest facility. And I and it is going to be very, very scary um, when the sirens go off and you have to shelter in place until they figure out what's happening. There's you know, they've, there's been leaks where the sirens have gone out off in specific areas. You have to keep in mind Hanford is 586 square miles. So it's a, it's a very large site. And so it, yeah, it you know, you just, and we have to, there's, there's protocols and procedures that you have to know to be out there.
0: Okay. Well, we are talking today about nuclear waste storage facilities located near Tribal Lands. And if you have a question or a comment for today's show, please give us a holler, 1-800-996-2848. Back right after the break.
4: Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com.
0: That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. To Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the threat highly radioactive nuclear waste poses for Native people, and there's still time to get in on our conversation. Call in, tell us what you think, 1 800 996 2848. Once again, that's 1 800 996 2848. Also on our show today, we have Jesse Deerenwater. He's in Michigan, and Jesse, uh, you've got uh, uh, nuclear facility as well that you're dealing with there. Fermi 2, can you tell us more about it?
6: Uh, yeah, sure thing. See uh, everybody, uh, good to be here. Uh, Jesse Durenwater calling in from traditional three fires in Anishinaabek Territory uh, in Redford, Michigan, areas known as Wawiyomtanong traditionally. It's where the curved shores meet and where the waters bend, and that's the Detroit area. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, well... Uh, right now we're dealing with, uh, uh, the Fermi two reactor, which is the largest Mark one, uh, reactor in the world. And, uh, that's the same model as the Fukushima reactor that had the tragic meltdown in Japan. Uh, it's ran by, a a profit share utility that uh and you know that makes sure that it gets all its profits for its people uh shareholders before it takes care of the people here at home, you know. So that there's a there's a lot there's a long history of it. There's like a thirty year document that was recently put together of all the mishaps, the uh all the uh scram shutdowns, all the releases of all the things. And so uh yeah. We're dealing with a wow. lot here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um what have been some of the some of the problems there on this list that you described? Well, uh,
6: uh, let's see here. Uh, people had been arrested and workers had uh, fallen to their deaths. Uh, before the site ever went on soil, uh, radioactive contaminated water had leaked from uh, condescent storage tanks into the soil. Uh, the, the potential soil was excavated, monitored, and uh, reapproved for reuse on site as fill dirt. Uh, let's see here. Uh, here recently, uh, in the past few years, uh, we have them dumping uh, a dumping wastewater on an expired permit, uh, for years. Uh, and then we flagged that and tried to intervene. And, uh, before we could even do anything, they submitted their permit paperwork. And, you know, we've had a hard time uh, trying to hold them accountable since then. Uh, uh, here in recent years, Due to radioactive waste, uh, their, their storage pond, uh, where they hold the spent fuel, uh, the neutron-absorbing materials, which uh, keep it stable and keep it from like basically having a criticality, you know, like meltdown, basically, uh, uh, are degrading. So these neutron-absorbing materials are degrading, and when they got relicensed, the the reactor got relicensed. They were supposed; to, they had said they were going to fix that. And they had a plan to do it, and uh, uh, a new thing came out, uh, and uh, uh, they decided they were going to use it. And so we intervened, and... uh we didn't we didn't win, but there were some safety modifications and a bunch of things that came from it and uh, that's not really good enough for for us because here now we're locked into a new deal with this new like experimental fuel g n f three it's a a higher enriched fuel which means it burns hotter, produces more waste, has more releases has to use more water for cooling in an already degrading plant and will be stored in an already degrading spent fuel pond and is uh Unable to be moved or transported and this is like the nuclear transport uh, Regulators put this out that this type of fuel cannot be transported for up to a hundred years Because of the heat and the instability uh, and and what it takes for it to cool down So this new GNF3 fuel that our reactor is now using has locked us into like a hundred year death deal uh, uh, Here on Lake Erie, you know this uh, uh, This fuel is going to be here and can't be moved even if we want it to be gone and even if they come up with a place in between now and then to get off the great lakes to get this waste here off the great lakes uh uh yeah
7: so so that that that's uh, you know just just
1: sure, some of the sure, things okay. you,
6: you know some of the things
0: yeah yeah just some of the things and it, so so concerning jesse any promising movement from the biden administration on dealing with nuclear waste
6: not at all. Uh I have uh recently uh, uh been involved in a lot of different things. Uh uh that th- that have uh been happening. Uh I I've uh been been involved in some things uh actually uh uh sending information to the Biden administration, reminding them of some of the historical context that, uh, that has to do with uh, uh, nuclear waste issues, like uh, a Blue Ribbon Commission finding uh, like, like uh, about a decade or so ago that, uh, that talked about a new approach to siting uh, of uh, nuclear waste facilities, uh, you, you, you know, there, there, there's, there's lots of things, and uh, the DOE and uh, uh, the industry has not uh, listened to any of these. I mean, they haven't listened to any of the, uh, the organizations or the people's recommendations. So, 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 so yeah, uh, no help. As a matter of fact, they want to up nuclear energy production to cut down on carbon. And so, uh, really, uh, it's not really any help that we're getting. It's potential more harm. And so.
0: Okay. Uh, let's bring another guest on the, on the show, Jonathan Perry. Again, he's director of Eastern Navajo Dené against uranium mining. Jonathan, um, Navajo Nation has a long history uh, of dealing with uh, uranium mine waste. Can you tell us more about it?
7: Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, for this time uh, to share this information. And uh, I'm, I'm from the uh, eastern uh, section of the Navajo Nation, and uh, the Navajo Nation has had a long history, as you just stated. Uh, going back to the mid-1940s, uh, going into uh, four decades, uh, there was a lot of production for uh, extracting uranium and processing. And uh, so we're, we have over 523 clustered sites. And uh, that was based on the, last, the previous uh, inventory that was done over 20 years ago. And during that time, there has been several other locations that need to be um, added to the listing. But uh, these 523 sites are scattered across the Navajo Nation. Uh, These are areas where um, mining companies had come in and uh, uh, set up their claims and and started extracting uranium. Uh, Where I live, uh, I live in a complicated area where we have the checkerboard, which is – Uh, what we call it because uh, if you were to look at our communities in Eastern Navajo agency, you would see uh, such a um, uh, a diverse uh, landscape of of jurisdictions. And so the community that I'm from uh, is outside the reservation, but still within the Navajo Nation. And so there has been a lot of efforts to Uh, not only have the Navajo Nation, but the federal government come in to uh, start work to clean up these uh, 523 sites and uh, to this date, uh, that has been minimal. And so with our organization, the Eastern Navajo Against Uranium Mining, we're also part of a larger um, alliance here in northwestern New Mexico, uh, the Multicultural Alliance for a Safe Environment. And in our work to prevent New uh, proposed projects. We also want to shed light that uh, the nuclear industry is not, or the nuclear energy is not green energy because, as uh, my, my colleagues on the calls today have stated, there are waste issues, there are a lot of, of uh, different complications that come with, with this industry. And so, with the Navajo Nation, we're, we're having to deal with that as well. And what we're encouraging and what our statement is to also um, oppose new uh, uranium mining is that we do need to clean up these, uh, these areas. And many of these areas are, are not properly uh, identified in the community. So you have some places where these sites are sitting right next to a home or their uh, material that was used in the mining operations were used to construct living facilities. Uh, houses and traditional Navajo Hogan. And so uh the community they're they're exposed um pretty much every day and um Okay So yeah we yeah. May have long <laughs>
0: Okay. And I and I understand, you know, higher rates of cancers and things like that, uh, for you know, a lot of folks that that are, are near that waste or folks that have worked in, in the mining industry in the past. We do have a caller on the line, Leona. She is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on K U N M. Leona, you're on Native America calling.
8: Hi, um, a I just want to um talk a little bit about the waste. Um, I hear from our relatives up in the Hanford area and and in the north. Um, I I appreciate all the information and I think it's really important for us to you know have a united front um, when it de- when dealing with the federal government. I'm um, Diné. Um, my clans are and I am a community activist. But I, I actually work with Jesse, um, and there's a lot of federal processes happening now. And one of the things um, groups are advocating for, community-based groups, are to to actually keep the waste at the site until the federal government has some place to put it, because there is no place to put high-level radioactive waste, um, the commercial stuff used for energy. So the weapons stuff is the huge mess Um Hanford needs a lot of funding. That needs to continue. It needs dedicated funding in perpetuity for how contaminated it is. But all of the sites across the country are different and need to be handled justly. What's happening now is the generic Band-Aid solution to bring all of the waste to New Mexico temporarily. So this is called um, consolidated. Some people say centralized. Um, but it's interim storage. They're calling it interim, meaning they're going to bring all the waste from all of the nuclear power plants here temporarily until there is a federal repository or a place to put it, which there are no plans at all for any federal repository. There are two proposals by private for, you know, for-profit corporations. One is by Holtec, a very corrupt corporation also very racist. Um, If you just Google Holtec, you can find a lot of information about their corruption. They want to build the world's largest nuclear dump here in New Mexico in the southeast part of the state. That one is not licensed yet. There's another proposal in Texas, which is a lot smaller. That one has been licensed by the federal government in September. Both of them are being challenged by both state governments. And... Okay. So those are ongoing. Okay. I can talk more about both of the issues, um, but yeah, we okay. I, we really need to stop making the waste.
0: Okay. Yeah, and and really appreciate those those comments, Leona. And and, and I think what this really underscores, and 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 Rose touched on this earlier, how there's just uh, nobody really knows what to do with this stuff. So, they're just kind of grasping at straws and throwing ideas out there. And again, you're suggesting in some cases this waste is just better left where it is uh, rather than risk transporting it to another site, such as the one that's being proposed in New Mexico. And and I want to ask Jonathan, what's your thought on that? I mean, this uranium waste that you folks are, are dealing with, what is. What, what is a possible solution uh, in, in the long term there that, that you folks see there at Navajo?
7: Well, that, that's a very good question. And, and one thing that uh, our communities don't want to do is have this transported to any other areas or any any locations. And, um, well, in terms of that, because we, we the thing about these plans is that they often bring proposals to other indigenous locations, indigenous communities, or uh, communities of color. And so these, these demographics are usually always targeted for uh, possible solution sites. And with Navajo Nation, uh, our communities understand, you know, the complexity of that. And in our cleanup efforts, we want a, a solid plan, but we, we don't have one in place. And the coordination with the federal agencies and the state government is just not there to to have this type of conversation to uh, bring forward those types of plans because you have other locations like the Southern U, which are, are fighting their own fight. But, you know, the, uh, the option is to possibly take you know waste that location as well, and we don't want to do that we we understand the situation, but you know there there there's, there's just a lot of, of collaboration that needs to work to happen, but does not happen with our our regulatory authorities and there's really no solution
0: okay well I, I want to give Jesse uh, the last word here, and we are going to have to wrap up the show here in another couple of minutes, but Jesse. Um, Leona mentioned that she works with you, and I I know you are in the process of starting a National Native Nuclear Waste Coalition. Uh, In about one minute, could you give us just a brief synopsis of of what that is all about?
6: Uh, Yeah. Basically, uh, from east to west, north to south, uh, us here on Turtle Island natives uh, are impacted in different ways all across the board. It's all native land that it's on. We're in different communities from different processes, from, uh, from waste storage to mining and uh, uh, we're, we don't, we're not really connected to each other I look out there and, and I see whole coalitions of uh, multicultural this that and the other and uh, uh, and just few little specks of us in there but we all know a lot and we're all doing hard work and we come from generational things and we have communities that are he- heavily involved so it's time for us to come together and resource share uh, uh, skill share uh, uh, unite build our fronts cu- 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 you, you know use our traditional teachings to try to find this outcome, you, you know, you know what I mean, and some of the different stuff that we're working with, and uh, so, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, you can reach out. Uh, we have a, a email started uh, in nuclear colonialism at gmail.com. Uh, and that's uh, Leona and I and a couple other people. You know, we we, we uh, invite. Uh, all okay. uh, Native people, uh, especially those working on the issues actively involved in the fight who may be having their stories extracted, uh, okay. you know, yeah. and stuff like Thank that. Thank you, so. Jesse.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, we're now going to have to wrap up today's discussion and, and what's been a challenging conversation about nuclear waste storage facilities and their impacts on Native lands. Gratitude to our guests, Rose Ferry, Jesse Deerenwater, Jonathan Perry, and Mike Childs, Jr., we're back again tomorrow for discussion on an art exhibition that features Native designs on skateboards. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening.
5: support by the Native American Disability Law Center. The Native American Disability Law Center advocates for the rights of Native Americans with disabilities, so those rights are enforced, strengthened, and brought into harmony with their communities. There is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show?
4: Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org assessme.